Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. It's good to see everyone here. Uh, if you're visiting, we are glad you are here, and we hope you will come back and visit with us again whenever you have the opportunity. You are always welcome here at Lindsley Avenue. As we've already been said, Happy Mother's Day. We have a few people who are out uh, visiting moms and mothers, so uh, we are glad that all of you are here. One of the characteristics of moms is going to form uh, the topic, the idea for this morning, and that is the hands of a servant. It's hard to imagine a mom who's not a servant, and so we thank moms for their service. But I want to broaden it today. I want to look at what servants are like, in particular, the uh, surprise to Jeff passage from Matthew 25. Sorry about that. We're going to look at what Jesus said uh, in his illustration of the day of judgment about what it means to be a servant. And as we go through that, I want each of us to be looking at what Jesus is saying and then hold our lives up to it to see how well we are doing. Not looking for any of us to be in some ways dismayed or it's not so much a scorecard, but it's the idea. What can I do better? And so that's my hope and our goal this morning. Let's look at Matthew 25 as we were discussing the hands of a servant. Picking up back in verse 31 of Matthew 25. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Part of that's what Jeff read for us this morning. Continue on, though, and look at the response from those that Jesus had labeled as the righteous. It says, Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now, let's take a closer look at some of those specifics that were in the passage Jeff read and that we just saw. And I've underlined some of these. Again, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. That's pretty straightforward. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. But I want to look at the next two a little bit more closely. I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me. The whole idea of clothed is not so much going out and getting someone a brand new shiny suit whether it's a, you know, something from an expensive place or the latest fashion. It's really the idea of someone who is shivering and you get something to throw over them so that they're no longer cold. Uh, you, have, you have put something around me that comforts me and helps me resist the external weather forces. So let's think, I really think of this in many ways much more as, as a nice, soft, warm blanket. I was naked and you clothed me. 
you took care of the fact that I was exposed and I was suffering, and you have contributed to the solution of the problem. I was sick and you visited me. You know, we use that word visit for a whole lot of things. In this case, it's the idea of looking in on someone, checking up on someone, making sure that they don't have anything that's needing that you could provide that perhaps they can't provide for themselves. You know, in these days of telemedicine where people have smartphones and be able to see a nurse or a doctor uh, on, on the phone screen, and with these days of, of Facebook and social media where you say, oh, I'm sure it can get easy sometimes to say simply, I sure hope you feel better, and think that maybe, hopefully not, but think that that's a check next to something like this. Jesus is really saying that when someone, brother and sister, someone we know, someone we interact with is sick, that we do our best to check in on them. Now, I'm really afraid COVID will have done a number on us on this one because the last two years has been something we really haven't wanted to do because personal human interaction has been something that we've been trying in some ways to minimize and keep that distance. We need to find a way to ease back into those personal interactions, even when somebody is sick, because it's that one-on-one -on -one care and consolation and comfort that's offered that is really, really important. And if you're looking for something as well that uh, I would include in this visit, I would include carrying chicken noodle soup one way to go and visit somebody because that is certainly checking on somebody, caring on somebody, uh, about somebody because chicken noodle soup goes a long way toward easing the uh, feeling of poor, the poorly uh, being feeling, uh, feeling poorly, I'll put that out in a second, when somebody's feeling sick. And then notice how he ended this section. As you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is in no way saying that he had been the one who had been sick. He is the one who had been without clothing. He is the one who was thirsty. Although, in certain cases, that's exactly what happened. Jesus was feeling thirsty and said, I thirst, and somebody got him something to drink. I will always remember the movie Ben-Hur, which is fictional, as Jesus going through the town where Ben-Hur was, and he is offered something Ben-Hur is offered something to drink himself by Jesus in the movie. You see somebody thirsty, give them something to drink. And Jesus says here, if you're doing it to someone else, that act of giving, that act of care and love and concern is actually being done to Jesus himself. So Jesus identifies with the needy and the suffering. You want to serve Jesus? Serve someone who's in need. Really true. Based on that one statement alone, that is how we serve Jesus. We serve Jesus by serving those who need our help. That's what he says to the group that he calls the righteous. He also has some things to say to those who are on his left. Let's continue on in Matthew 25. <coughs> He says, depart from me, to those on his left, depart from me, you curse, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Why are they, why are they going to depart? 
It's not because of some theological misconception that they had. It's not because they got confused on end times or because they got confused on anything else. It's a much deeper problem that these individuals have. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they, notice, also will answer. The progression here suggests they may very well have heard and seen the righteous answer with what they said. And they're going to say, when did we see you naked, hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? We don't ever recall, Lord, seeing you in any of these circumstances. Then he will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what, what lessons do I want us to take from this passage? We may have heard a number of times. But here's a couple of them. First, look at the repetition of negatives. Hungry, you gave me no food. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. Stranger did not welcome me. Naked did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and did not visit me. A lot of repetitive negatives to me implies a pattern. A pattern of life, a, a personality, a focus that is severely off track. The people he's talking to did not have a caring heart in any way. And that caring heart or lack of it was demonstrated by a consistently negative lack of helping other people. So if this describes me, then I would suggest it's time to get busy. <clears throat> it's time to get busy. I do not want to be someone who will have said, I was too busy with myself or my own pursuits where I did not take the time to see those around me who needed some help. Do not be in that group that Jesus, the, the text is called the goats, and be in, among the group of people who are in that negative category. The passage in many ways is one of the most vivid, one of the most practical things Jesus ever says. And the lesson is very, very clear. God will judge us in accordance to our reaction to human need. You know, he could very well, I said it a moment ago, he could very well have outlined the day of judgment from a theological basis. You did not properly determine and then fill in the blank with some discussion that occurs in seminaries and in huge lecture books about some theological deduction. Now, I'm not minimizing those. I talk a lot about those things too. I really do. But on the day of judgment, the example Jesus gives a short time before he goes to the cross is all related to how you and I react to those who are around us. 
Jesus once told a group of people, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If we focus on the externals, if we focus on, in some ways, in many ways, the internals, as I'm talking about theological distinctions and things like that, without having the right kind of heart, which would show mercy, all the sacrifices in the world are going to do nothing. Nothing. And these individuals Jesus has been talking about have been showing the right kind of heart because when they ran into someone who was thirsty, they gave them something to drink. When they ran into someone who was hungry, they helped feed them. You look cold here. Let me get you something. There's a gut reaction, an instinctive reaction, perhaps for some of us, a learned reaction to be active in helping people. That's what Jesus puts right there in Matthew 25 as one of the primary distinctives on the day of judgment. I didn't invent that. Jesus talked about it right there. His judgment is not on what we've acquired or the fortune we have. The outcome on the day of judgment is not going to be based on how many dollar sign figures or on some bank account or investment account, but on help we have given to other and I've always been terribly afraid when you merge this with the parable of the rich fool, which is still the scariest thing in the world to me, where so much stuff won't fit into the barns, and instead of saying, I got so much for me, let me now give some of this excess or all of this excess to help other people, he wants to tear them down and build bigger ones. That's not going to be a good outcome on the day of judgment. It's not. The outcome on the day of judgment will be of those who show mercy, those who help other people, help other people. A couple of other things. There are certain things this teaches us, it seems to be. Number one, it has to be helped with simple things. The things that Jesus picks out in this illustration, we might call it a parable or this, this view of what's coming on the day of judgment, are fairly simple. Giving a hungry person a meal, a thirsty person something to drink, welcoming a stranger, and that's sometimes one of the harder ones, but having a heart to where we care when somebody is out of place, when somebody doesn't know everyone else. Cheering the sick, visiting a prisoner, these are things that anyone can do. You know, it, it, suppose he had said, you built a tower a thousand feet tall. Well, I'm sorry, that is not going to be me. I would not be able to build a tower a thousand feet tall, so jeans out. That's not what he uses. He uses things all of us, any of us can do. And it's the kind of thing we'll have opportunity to do Nearly every day. So as I go through my day, I can hopefully look for opportunities to give help in simple things. It's not a question of thousands of dollars or getting your name put on a building or in a history book. It's a case of giving simple help to people we meet each and every day. That's the first lesson. Second lesson. 
seems to be, it has to be health which is uncalculated, not with a, a, a motive behind it. We say an ulterior motive, right? Those who helped did not think they were helping Jesus. They didn't give something to eat to everyone named Jesus or Jesus or whatever on the opportunity or possibility it could have been Jesus himself. They gave help to all sorts of people. They did not think they were doing this. This is Jesus. This is an apostle. This is a, a, a big religious leader. I'm going to help that person because surely God will notice that. And that piles up merit whereby I'm going to get in. I've done too much good to too many of the really famous religious people or Jesus himself. I punched my ticket. That's not what they were doing at all. They helped because they couldn't help themselves. You know, I, I, I've seen people before that they just can't stay away from reaching out and talking to people, even in circumstances where it might be perhaps a little dangerous. You know, it's like, you come back, come back. You know, they can't help themselves. Which would I rather be? Someone who's reluctant to help? Someone who can't help themselves. I know the answer. It was simply their natural, instinctive, very uncalculating way to show the reaction of their heart, which was the heart of love. What was the difference in the heart of the rich fool? It was a selfish heart. A self-centered heart. That's not the kind of heart that's going to have a good outcome. When we all, all of us, stand before Jesus. And as I said before, it really should be our natural state of affairs. It needs to be who we really are. If you're doing it because if I don't, God's going to throw me into a fiery lake. Well, fear is one motivator. It really is. You know, I suppose you can avoid sinful behaviors out of fear of punishment. But that's not a heart of love. Uh, if you think about it, if you were to think back, I would imagine in this gathering and people watching at home, a, a number, I don't know what percentage, but a number of people might actually admit, yes, I obey the gospel. I became a member of God's family because I didn't want to go to hell. Fear is a motivator. It really is. But as we grow, as we mature, we have to leave that fear, as it were, behind and have our motivation slowly or, or quickly. It's okay to be quick. But at least sometime or other change to be a motivation that's out of love. You know I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Sometimes sacrifices were done out of fear. If I don't follow the law perfectly, I'm in deep trouble. But a heart that's focusing on mercy is, is doing things because of love for other people because God loves me. It needs to be our, our instinctive, natural reaction when we're faced with some circumstance and opportunity to help. On the other hand, the attitude of those who failed to help was what? Oh, 
we had known it was you, we would have been easy. Very helpful. If I had known this person on the side of the road was the President of the United States, and that I might be on the evening news if I had stopped to help change that flat tire, I would have changed the flat tire. They seem to have thought that it was a common person who really wasn't worth their time and attention. Here's a, a late breaking shock from a, a truthful perspective. There are no common people. Every individual who's alive on the earth today is made in the image of God. God loves them every bit as much as he loves me or you. We've got to get out of the habit of thinking distinctions among people. Sometimes people think worthy of help, maybe worthy of help. I can safely ignore them. Our society contributes to that. Got to break that habit. Because everyone, everyone is a child of God. God loves them. I love God. I certainly have to love them. I want God to love me. I've got to love other people. This is an attitude that is going to fail. This is an attitude that I, I'm really sad to say this. is going to be quite common, I'm really afraid, among people who are standing on the wrong side on that day of judgment. You know, it's true, there are plenty of people who are happy to help if they can be given praise. You know, give something, you're like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Who's, who's going to be the first to say, great job? But to help like that so many times is really not help. You're, you're looking to be built up yourself more than really helping others. Best help is help that nobody ever sees and notices. Selfishness is a big part of that. The help which God is really seeking, Jesus is talking about, is where people help simply because they want to help. Help was needed. I was here. I had the opportunity. I helped. Move on to the next. Don't write it down in a diary. Help opportunity number 412 seized. In case you know, here's my diary. You're not going to carry a diary of help to the day of judgment and say, look at all these opportunities. You didn't miss any of these, did you, God? Help when you can help because you have the opportunity to help. Third place, help others and you're helping Jesus. That's the third lesson. Jesus confronts us with that wonderful truth, all help given to people of any sort, any station, any circumstance, is help given to Jesus. And if you withhold help from helping other people, we're withholding help from helping Jesus himself. Um, how can that really be? Well, here's, here's what I want to suggest to you. you know, I happen to be a dad. You want to be one of my favorite people who walks the earth. My child needs help. Help him. You know, if my son in Memphis, daughter, son-in-law over toward Knoxville, if I ever hear that you had an opportunity to help them on the side of the road or 
anything they needed to do. I was there to do. You're not one of my favorite people. If you want to delight the heart of a parent, you help the child. Well, God is the great father. And the way to delight God's heart is to help his children. Everybody we meet is a child of God. God created each and every one of them. So, I don't want that to turn into a selfish outlook, but it's very true. I think that's why Jesus is talking this way on the day of judgment. God wants us to show love to his other children in the same way that he shows that love to us. And that love is an unselfish love. That love is freely offered. Offer that kind of love to other people. And you will, in fact, delight the heart of God. A couple of other passages we'll look at in another section or two. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. Paul here says, you, talking to Christians, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and rules and regulations that had been in place in the, the circumstances of, of Jewishness, Judaism, the old law, had been taken away. And Paul says... Don't use that as an opportunity to cut corners, to engage in things, because there's no direct statement saying don't do these things, it must be okay. Use your freedom as an opportunity to look for ways to love each other, to show love and care for each other. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. As proof of our new life in Jesus is proof of our circumstance of being a member of God's family. We obey the one word, the one phrase, the one statement which really lays it all out. Use our freedom not to get what we want, but to serve other people through love. The whole law, what God expects of us, is to love God and love our neighbor. One other passage to go to is over in Acts 3. This will show up as the basis for a future focused lesson we'll do. Acts 3, 1 through 7. Here, uh, Peter and John, usually we think of Peter and somebody else, right? We don't think Peter and John together too much, but they're here in Acts 3, and they're going up to the temple at one of the hours of prayer. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, it's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. A beggar, someone that is lame, someone who's seeking generosity from people going into God's house in order to survive. <laughs> Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Help me. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. Now, let me stop right there. They saw him and they looked at him. I am not about to ask for a show of hands, but I think it's become very common in society when we see someone that we don't know who 
is looking for help or asking for help. They're sitting right here, and I'm going to keep my eyes right over here. If I don't see them, I don't have to help. I'm not, again, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I will be shocked if there's nobody in this room where that has occurred at some point. It happens at a stoplight. Happens in other places. They saw this individual and looked at it. And they said, look at us. He, the lame man, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. This is great. They actually saw me down here and they have made eye contact. They're going to give me something. Great day for me. I can have some extra food or something tonight. Extra help. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, Peter apparently, took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. What do I learn from that? What Peter and John did not give was money. They did not give money. Sometimes giving money is not the answer. It's not. Giving money can make certain circumstances worse. They didn't have any money in the first place, is what they said. So I don't have any silver or gold. The important thing they had to give was the fight. The good message about Jesus and what it meant for this man. Not only is he able to walk, but he now knows that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth has a great deal of power in this world. Don't focus, notice my word here, exclusively on helping with physical needs. Don't ignore them either. Give help physically. That's what Jesus talks about on the day of judgment in the parable. Peter and John also talk about giving help when it's needed to make sure people know about Jesus. The best kind of help will include both of them. If you're giving some water, give some water in the name of Jesus. Give water and say, the only reason, give water and say, this water comes with the love of God. God loves you. you. Who knows whether that will be the only time they hear about God that day. It's easy enough to try to include it both ways. Note to the statement, what I do have, I give. Help how you can. Help how you can. Mercy Generosity, giving, not everybody has the same abilities, the same resources, the same, sometimes you help with time. Help how you can. It's not some sort of, here is the way you must help. I take from this, when you have the opportunity to help, help how and as you can. So, our day-to-day -day lives are to be spent doing good things. We were created in Christ Jesus, Paul says, for good works that God had seen before the world was ever created. All these good things we are to be doing in the world today are part of the plan that God set in motion before he ever said, let there be one. You and I are part of God's plan, carrying out the things he's always been wanting us to do when we are engaged in doing good things to help people. 
so that in all things God may be glorified. If you do something good, do it in the name of Jesus. Do it to glorify God. Do not do it to in any way ever reflect back on you. It loses all of its real help and worth when it's focused on us and not focused on what Jesus can do for me and for you. So my question this morning is, how does my day-to-day life look? I really hope that if we look back over the last week, the last month, whatever time frame you want, that there will be a lot of opportunities we have in fact seized to help other people. I can't change the past if that's not true. If that is not how my life looks when I'm looking backward, then let's quit looking in that rearview mirror and start looking at the opportunities in front of me today and in this next week. Let's make sure that we are looking for opportunities to help and seizing those opportunities because there are always going to be plenty of opportunities to help. If your life is not looking the way it should, if you need to rededicate your life to focusing on living for God instead of living for yourself, the opportunity is yours this morning to come. We are more than happy. We are blessed to have the opportunity to pray together, to ask God to bless you and bless us so that we all can be closer to the kind of people he wants us to be. If you're not a member of God's family, much bigger and more important first question than if you believe that Jesus is God's son sent to live and die so that he would pay the price and take the penalty for all those sins that you and I committed away, then if you understand that to be the case, confess his name, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, as they did in the New Testament, and be buried in water, Waters of baptism so that you can have those sins forgiven and be raised to walk life as a new person, a member of God's family. Come to God today as we stand in sin.